Jen Cole at Jen Cole ICT on Instagram and Twitter, co-founder of Depict Media and community manager for Social Media Examiner. And this is Making a Marketer. And I'm Elizabeth Glau, the product marketing manager for Sciencio, maker of event bots. You can find me on social at Elizabeth Glau. And this is Making a Marketer. Hello, hello. I am Megan Powers at Megan Powers on the Twitter. And this show today is brought to you by my company, Powers of Marketing. We do strategic communication, consulting, marketing, events, photography, basically anything you need to help amplify your message and communicate to your potential customers is what we do. So we have two fantastic guests with us today. I'm going to introduce them each and then we'll give them a chance to add anything that that I didn't include. So our first guest is Ina Yulo. She's Senior Content Strategy Manager at Bright Talk. Ina has been listed on the Women in Fintech Power List for two years in a row and has spoken or moderated for conferences on blockchain, fintech, payments, women in tech, and marketing. Ina has grown Bright Talk's fintech community to an audience of over 300,000 global professionals. Whoa. She makes sure her clients' content is engaging and reaches their target audience. Our second guest is Marianne Pierce. In 2017, Meetings and Conventions Magazine named Marianne, founder and CEO of MAP Digital, as one of the top 25 women in the meetings industry. They noted, Pierce is ahead of the curve as the rest of the industry now embraces data capture and analytics as the next frontier. For 20 years, Pierce has worked with her financial industry clients to build MetaMeetings, a secure, compliant platform to manage event content, webcasts, attendee engagement, and data. Wow. Well, that is a, that, those are some serious credentials there. Welcome, ladies. Thanks so Thank much. You. Welcome. So I should have mentioned that this is episode 13 of the Making a Marketer podcast today. And we're talking with Ina and Marianne about creating and amplifying thought leadership, which is all part of the path, right? Through things we do leading to marketing sales for the companies that um, we all work within and with. So I'm going to ask each of you a question, and then um, if you want to add anything else about your background or anything that I didn't indicate, you can. that would be a good time for you to do that. So, Marianne, tell us, what is the Meta Meetings platform? What, what, tell us all about it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me on the program. I'm very honored to be here, and also I'm delighted to be here with Hina, who also is in financial services and also talking about um, amplifying uh, thought leadership and content from that space. Meta Meetings, oh, it's actually, it's a platform and it's a platform that we've built, co-created with our financial service clients. We specialize in investment banking conferences. And since the year 2000, when the SEC mandated that any publicly traded company in a conference had to disclose any information they, they, they talked about that would change their stock or change the stock value, excuse me, had to be disseminated live. So webcasting became ubiquitous. So overnight, we went from being like in the stone age into the digital age. So to be able to completely be in a secure, compliant environment with some of our, you know, content slides in particular have, you know, forward-looking statements that can't get out before the real deal time, we built meta meetings. So we just kept building as we went over the last 20 years, almost 20 years. So it's 18 years later so that we could be the only technology provider on site for our financial service clients. We do everything from the bandwidth, the MetaMeetings platform runs all the content management, all the live webcasting, as well as the conference uh, website, 
and also we throw in digital signage and badging to boot. So we start getting into serious data at that point. One of our largest conferences is a healthcare investment banking conference. 10,000 attendees, but over 25,000 attendees on the web, uh, via webcast during four days. And we get something like a quarter of a million contextual data points. So we're in another place. We're beyond, you know, we've been in the digital transformation for a long time. And um, it's because basically, thank you, SEC, for mandating webcasting back in 2000. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to be. Clear. It's a lot of data, yeah. <laughs> and it's, we just kept we kept building as we went. And I like to, you know, it's a woman-owned company, and we're fifty-fifty. We believe in cognitive and gender diversity. I think we built our platform to be helpful. We didn't build an app. Oh, isn't this a great idea to do something, one thing in a meetings, you know, like to have something terrific. We kept building as we went integrating, synergistically rolling it. I, you know, it was, I think it was women build things that are very purposeful, not to tap myself and my team on the back. Mm-hmm. My clients were women. It was, how can we make this better? It was always a conversation. And I, you know, do thank the one major client who's been our, our client for 20 years for allowing us to build with them. Right on. Yeah. So, and we'll get, we'll get more into all the, the stuff that gets built out and how that plays into thought leadership and all that kind of good stuff. So Ina, in your role at Bright Talk, what would you say is the top thing that's helped you grow your audience? Those numbers are pretty awesome. So with my role at Bright Talk, so Bright Talk is actually very similar to, you know, Marianne in where her company has gone. It started off as just a webinar platform for the big asset management companies, especially those in London. And after a while, what we realized was that the value we were seeing was actually in the audience that was coming in, who were tuning in to the HSBCs and the Schroders who were doing their webinars on Bright Talk. So the team that I'm part of, which is audience and communities, was built a few years ago because they said that there was a need for a team of people whose main role was really to reach out, see what are the up and coming trending topics in different industries. So we expanded from asset management. We now have over 80 different communities and that's from IT security, BI and big data and where I am now, FinTech. So our role on a day-to-day basis, again, is to see what's up and coming in the industry and what do our audience members actually want to hear about. And then we reach out to these people, these thought leaders who are speaking and talking about these things and solving different challenges that professionals face. And we invite them to come on Bright Talk to present and share their insights with our audience. And one of the things that you know we realized, so the fintech community is a funny one, how I fell into it. I actually have no background in technology and no background in financial services. So it's really funny that I now work um, in fintech industries that I have zero experience in. How I fell into it was I was managing the BI and big data community and I was managing the asset management community. So organically, by doing research within those two, fintech was coming up. And I just thought, oh, this sounds so exciting and so interesting. I wonder if we can do more with it. So I had to actually pitch it as a business plan to my senior management team and say, I think this has some meat. We should get into it. So after that, what we realized was that a large chunk of the Bright Talk audience was already those people who were working in financial services. And they were scared about the jobs that they were having and that they might lose it to this new player in the game. So it was really about understanding that audience, understanding what were the fears, what were the challenges, and what they want to learn more about. 
And by providing them with those three things and not just what our clients wanted to talk about or what we thought we should be talking about, but actually asking them, doing user surveys, attending events, networking with people and finding out what is it that would make you either sign up to Bright Talk, first of all, it's free, but you do have to sign up a reg form or two, what would make you come back on a regular basis and make this a habit? And that's really how we, I think we were able to, to grow is that we gave people what they wanted to hear. Fantastic. Well, that, it makes sense, but it's surprising how many companies don't do that. That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> All right, sweet. Okay, so I have a couple more questions and then we'll go on to Elizabeth has, has some really good questions and then we'll go on to Jen. So I'll ask Marianne first, what, what types of content are the most engaging or provide the most value? And, and as a part of that, do you want to, you know, talk about how, like, what are good metrics and how are you showing the ROI? I know that's like a, that was a huge question, <laughs> but uh, do you do best to... It's all different types of content. Primarily, meta meetings in the financial services, we don't curate that content. It's basically the publicly traded company goes up in front of the investment community and says, buy my stock. So that is, we have nothing to do with that, how it's, how it's ranking. And a lot of times it could be what the market's doing, a new discovery, a scandal, whatever. We have branched out into thought leadership conferences, basically in the fourth industrial age. Uh, I just did a, a program for Singularity U and uh, another one called Masters in Robots in Warsaw. So this is all about IoT and you know AI, machine learning, all those good things. So that's when we really got to start to test. What MetaMeetings does is capture the content, you know, the slides in advance and also the webcasting, everything's on one platform. So we get that content out very quickly within a couple of hours. So we we, we started ranking actually during um, our time, let's say this, this event in Warsaw, which is where we did some really, really deep analytics. By day one, when people walked in for day two, all the webcasts were up. So the attendees themselves really got on to the content. They were watching it and they were most importantly forwarding it on to their colleagues and to their people back at home. And they had a voracious use of um, downloading the slides and all these, you know, really, they were very, very active. It was interesting that we also then did evaluations where we asked them what was the best session. And I was one of the speakers, I was one of the producers, so I knew the content very, very, very well. So we got from the evaluations, and then we took all the data that we took from the webcast and downloading the slides, and we rated it. If you watch the webcast, the video, that's 12 points. We just made up the scale. It's very, very interesting to us. What ranked in the evaluation as being the most popular, top three, came in the exact middle when we put all the data together. It was really astounding. I mean, like, there's one thing about data discovery is that you don't know until you start diving into it. But then once the, the results happen, it's almost common sense. You know, it's, it's almost like I should have known that, but you couldn't have known it. So what we found was, is that the people who ranked the top, you know, the best speakers, they were very emotional. They were these incredible, in the future, you can, you can be a unicorn, all those great stuff. Yes. The ones that got the most use was one, a professor from Stanford, who basically compressed his year course on when to know was the innovative time to launch your product. Product. He compressed a course into 20 minutes. It was a primer. It was like 
you just download the slides, you watch it, you read the transcripts because we provided transcripts also because it was Poland. We, you know, we did that. And that was very interesting who accessed the transcripts. The ones that were, could have been more boring in some ways, but the content was so compelling, they could take it back and, and apply it probably in their industry. So it was interesting. It wasn't just what people think what is the best. What they clicked on and how they shared told another story too. So it's hard to rank what's the most compelling content. It's really, I think, as Ina was talking about, really deep analysis of learning who your customer is. And those clicks and those data points help you, not just intuitively, but also there's another story about why they are clicking and engaging. That's really interesting. I wonder how much most conferences that do from home, you know, they give you the opportunity to attend the conference at home, whether they're really looking at all that data in the same way as they are with the people that are there. Elizabeth shaking her head, no. <laughs> well, and that's the big thing about data. Like everyone wants it. It's so important. And, but I keep hearing, like, I, this is all very, very awesome today because I, I keep hearing how everyone wants it and they're collecting it but they're not doing anything with it. They don't have the tools. Right. It's very hard to analyze data. It's a big software that you need. And, and I just and I just want to highlight what Mary, you know, Marianne says this very like nonchalantly, but the fact that they get that content up the next day, like that is that is a tremendous feat, right? I've been in situations, you know, part of team where it's like, oh my God, we're lucky if we can get it up a month later. Right. But to actually have that up essentially immediately, right. You've got, you know, you're doing some editing. I'm sure like some stuff right into it, but to get that up so soon so that people are also you know, kind of experiencing that content at the same time. Like that's, that's an amazing feat. Well, it's also, it's, it's, it's really the momentum. The, the shelf life of content is not, you know, it, it varies and it's, you, you need to build on your momentum and now is very compelling. And since we came from the financial services and it had to be live, we grew up in a much stricter, you know, we, you know, we had to do everything faster, bigger now, you know, so but thank you for that. I mean, it's how we think, but it's also in any marketing terms. I mean, you have everyone gathered together. Why don't you just continue to wow them and have that content, that thought leadership sharing happen while you're still on site. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And Jen and I just attended a conference where talk about things changing quickly. Like, I mean, Facebook turned upside down in the last two weeks and the conference was just a month ago. Like, like, so, um, and you know, and I, I, I think too, for me, I always have best intentions of accessing stuff later and I still haven't gone back and watched any of the recordings of the sessions that I missed or anything, but I just wonder, like, there's some of that that's not gonna be relevant anymore just because things change. So darn best but that's the nature of social media right like it's just on the daily <laughs> things are constantly changing so all right so the ROI then comes into play in in what way Marianne you see but my clients aren't so concerned in ROI okay you know I'm in the business the business space you know in a way in, in the financial services I mean they are having these these meetings where the real ROI happens when they do the one-on-one -on -one meetings the face-to-face 30-minute meetings where they take the bedrooms, the beds out of the sleeping rooms and make one-on-one -on -one rooms. As far as masters and robots or singularity is concerned, we were able to, to drill down within the attendees their metadata, okay? Because each, each, comp, each session was about startups, IoT, artificial intelligence. That's like a metadata. So we could then take the whole population of a thousand people and tell the sponsors 
who in that audience in real time, we could do it. You know, we didn't, but we can. Who are the people you should be targeting right now at this conference? Because based on what they're watching and how they're engaging with the content, they are a desired client to be. So that ROI was great. What they did in the post end is that they took this metadata, what was the most trending and what also broke by company and by people and took it back to the sponsors and said, you know, here's how we delivered on your theme message, your metadata, and this is what we're going to do next year. So it helped them defend their spend and also ask for more money. Wow, that's fantastic. Right on. So, Ina, I'm going to repeat the question again, because I know it was like a little bit ago and it was a really long question. <laughs> so so what types of content are the most engaging or provide the most value in, in your space? And then in terms of, you know, metric, what are good metrics and is does ROI come to play within your within your world? I think you know the answer based on what you said earlier, but I'll let you answer. (laughs) Actually, it's a good time to ask that question because um, we have an audience growth team and they recently conducted a whole bunch of user surveys. So asking what we call Bright Talk Power users, so people who are making Bright Talk a habit, consuming tons of content, engaging with this content. So they do happen over webinar, but we allow for um, real-time questions. So audience members can type in their questions the speaker can see it and respond verbally. Uh, the speaker can also at- um, add attachments to their session. So that can be white papers, blog articles, uh, their LinkedIn page. And I always recommend to any client, especially those who are vendors, that anything more product specific, add that as, a, as an attachment because then that's actually a warmer lead for your sales team going into ROI. That you didn't just say, hi, I knew you were here to educate yourselves and learn about some something that had a thought leadership angle, but then actually here's my product and here's how here's a demo right in, you know, in their faces that they did not sign up for. So I always tell them, you know, we're more than happy for you to talk about your company and your solution, but allow the user to do that on their own via that attachments field. And going back to the question about the, uh, the content that works well, so yeah, we have this audience audience growth team and they they recently surveyed those power users, asked them actually, what content format do you enjoy the most? You know, length, all of these things. And by far and wide, the top type of content that our users engage with the most is a how-to. So they are really looking into how to do this, how to do that. And it's really interesting too, because I was managing a BI and big data community for a few years. And our clients were always producing content that where the angle was around how to unlock the value in your data. And I realized that after, you know, listening to that and listening to what clients want, you tend to think that's what the users want too. And a lot of the time it's not, and that's the main issue, right? So what we had to do is we did, I I was actually, I led a workshop uh, this week in Oslo on using content and community for fintech success. So it was in a fintech focus accelerator. But one of the exercises I made the group do was a persona exercise where there was about four different sections I said, who is your target persona? Just pick one of them and go over different questions first about that person, you know, background, how much does that person make? And then next is what were their challenges? And then how do you solve their challenge? And then how do you describe your company? And very lastly was where does that person consume content? And I love that exercise because you always think you know your user, but you actually don't. And if you go down into that nitty gritty. So within my big data community, I had um, I did that ex- uh, exercise with who I called data scientist Dave and went through it and realized, I, I always like to have that. So Dave, I realized he was a super techie person who actually wanted 
technical tutorial type of content and he would only listen to someone who he thought knew more than him. And that was a complete, you know, the complete opposite from what our clients were producing because they were trying to produce content that essentially were for marketers. If you think about it, that sort of more high level, how do you manage your data? How do you get the most out of your data? How do you, you know, extract these real time actionable insights? That's not for data scientist Dave though. And when I realized that, and I also found out from our SEO team that the, one of the top searches on Google that was bringing people to Bright Talk was Hadoop tutorial. So I realized it really, it was really just all, it was like Marianne said, it was that bing moment where, oh, you should have known that by now, but you didn't. So, you know, after that, I started switching in terms of my reaching out to thought leaders and inviting them on. I started reaching out to more techie people who were showing off their screens and actually coding live or showing exactly how to do very techie things that I could not understand. But I realized it doesn't matter because my audience liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and the numbers honestly went up, you know, the ratings went up. There was so much engagement. There were people asking questions one after another after another. So it was just really interesting. And, you know, going back to your, your ROI question actually is these are now insights that I am able to share with the clients because I realized that in the beginning of my career, especially it was so easy to think, Oh, client, you're a big name in this industry. You definitely know what you're talking about. But the insights that I actually share with them, a lot of the time, they're more valuable. I realize, and they trust me more when I actually tell them that they're wrong, because then that's, that's something that they can say, Oh, wow, you're now more valuable to me. You're more of an asset to me now, because you told me about something that I, w- I could have just gone on doing and wasting money. So, you know, the ROI, sometimes if you think about it, it's not necessarily in that return on investment, but it can actually be in just the, you stopped that money from flowing out and going nowhere. Right. Well, and you're flipping the funnel in a way, like you're, you're totally changing their approach. That's amazing. I love that. Right on. Okay. This is fabulous. Okay. So Elizabeth, I think maybe the live video question, let's ask that later. Why don't we go on to your first question and we'll, I'll work that. Yeah, no worries. We got, we have lots of questions, so yeah. we don't get to all of them. It's okay. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've kind of, you know, danced around it a little bit, but um, we'll start with Marianne. You know, why, why do you think event organizers are not capturing and capitalizing on the content created at their events? Oh, that is the billion dollar question, Elizabeth. (laughs) I mean, I've had long, soulful conversations with our mutual friend, Michelle Bruno, saying, you know, I think content's a gift that keeps on giving. And I think Ina will agree with me. In fact, I could see myself capturing content and plugging it into Bright Talk's platform because we're the live mechanism people. So there's many ways. I think because it's, they're so distant from it. They're not the actual, they're, they're more uh, logistical people. They're not developing the content usually. They're not measured for the content. They're measured usually for, well, that's not true. You know, it depends on each situation. It's different. I don't know. I really think that by not capturing and digitizing content, you are leaving influence and millions of dollars on the table. And you are losing the opportunity to use that content in many different ways. And the word that of the day is amplification, because I use the word all the time, Megan. It's once you get that content, and it's not just the people who are coming to that that those sessions or to that to that um, to that event. That's your that's your deep network. 
The real word you can use to digitize content is on the broad and shallow social network or the global village, as I call it. And it's the campfires, the digital campfires are fueled by content. So if you want to do audience development, if you want to build your brand, if you want to become a thought leader, if that's a, you know your association, you want to be known for being experts on this, there's a huge constituency out there. And that's why you're going to get them with the content. I don't understand why. I think what the real reason comes down to, if I can think about it, they don't have the tools and they don't have a meta meetings, which was built for this purpose, but it was built very specifically because it was mandated by the SEC. It wasn't like, oh, a bright idea that we had one day. They don't have the tools and there's too many movable parts and there's uh, in the technology, they have a technology stack that's not integrated. They have to work with multiple vendors, they work with the AV people. There's no sense of a streamlined for them, you know, and I think that's where you see a lot of the resistance because it is a month later to get your videos as a speaker or, you know, even as, you know, as, as an attendee. And we did some analysis, which I just will go touch on briefly. I work on the advisory board of InspireFest, which is one of the largest Europe base, but we're, we're expanding worldwide. STEM Diversity and Inclusion Arts Festival takes place in Dublin, and I've been doing a lot of work with them and also experimenting with how they take their content. They capture it. They also publicize it in the Silicon Republic, which is a sister organization by the founders, and they also give it to their, their speakers. Speakers are the largest influencers. Some of these people, like one in particular that I know, has almost like a million followers on Twitter. So if she posts some of her video or her content from InspireFest. Boom! We fed this information into IBM Watson and we found those influencers that were just incredible. So I don't know. I mean, I think the real reason is, is that they have no guidance and they have no support and they don't have the tools. But if they saw the data that we're getting and the returns that we're getting, maybe they could take it up to their CEO and say, we should be thinking differently about an, that's something that we thought was ephemeral and make it into an asset. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ina, did you have anything to add to that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, in complete agreement with everything that Marianne said, the tools are a huge issue. But one thing I'm seeing also, and this is this is from personal experience of me going to events. You know, I, we still do attend physical events. We partner with a lot of them to try to, you know, expand the reach of their event and also keep the event lasting longer because we don't want anything that happens during the event to end when it does and then you get the video the month later. Um, so what, and the thing is, yeah, again, from personal experience, I go to these events, I do interviews sometimes, I meet up with people and I keep thinking, oh, I want to show off my thought leadership and do a blog article or something like that. It just takes so much time, you know? So that's one thing also is that the the resource thing I think is a big issue is that because my remit is not just going to events and then reporting back and writing something on it. When I'm at that event, my entire professional life is still going on. I'm still getting emails about 10 million different things. I'm still answering them at the event. I get back into the office, have a stack of business cards from really interesting people who I met. Do I really have time to go over them when I enter the, enter the office and have you know, a, a bunch of emails that I was ignoring while I was at the event too. So what we've seen also actually with some of our clients or our partners is the ones who have really successful programs. And that's programs that are uh, mixing the digital stuff with any physical events that they might um, attend. They have a dedicated person who is assigned to basically create that content or not just create, but curate that content. 
and it really is, I think, a, a bandwidth issue. Yeah, I think we have to think a little differently. The events industry, I mean, I come from an advertising background, direct marketing and general advertising. So, <laughs> yay! I'm a Y&R girl. Wonderman was uh, the agency that I learned the most, direct marketing and the internet and direct marketing, the tools, just what we were dreaming of came true with the internet. I think we have to understand that in advertising, it's not... The marketing now, it's not what you say about your brand. It's what your audience says about your brand. And they're always looking for content. And we are generating content in the event industry and we just leave it on on the floor. You know, we need to reverse that. And the elevation of events will go sky high. And so we're looking at what we do with Meta Meetings as being a content marketing engine. We're, We're providing to digital agencies now. We're partnering with certain digital agents who have the expertise on how to distill the goodness and disseminate it out in a calendar, not having an overburdened, you know, planner having to do this, but real, real smart people who are editors, you know, those liberal arts students that, you know, have critical thinking skills, we need them desperately. <laughs> and this is where that thought leadership, we, we just see everything we do as an engine and we're not going to build it. We're going to partner with the best. I mean, the new, you know, it's the, the new thing is, it, you know, integration is innovation. So you partner with the best. You know what you do well. We capture content, but we need people. And we're actually going to be making some announcements with some of our new partnerships. Uh, just, I'm not building anything anymore. I, have, <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's it, it, you have to think of it differently. And I think the event industry is too siloed. And I think that they're going to realize, and I'm seeing some stuff in general advertising, that events are the new thing. They are the new thing. The new old thing. I have a theory though, and I think Elizabeth might agree with me on this. I'd be curious to see what you guys think as I think it might go back to that whole, well, we don't want to give, we want people to come to our events. If we don't, if we give them the information that was there, then they're going to know that they're just going to get it afterwards and they're not going to pay to come to the event. That's not true. I know, but I've heard it from the highest people. That's that's the association mentality. I know that at least, right, Elizabeth? Wouldn't you say that? that Sadly, sadly, that is how some people still. Yeah, I think that's in. Yeah, I think that's still in the back of their heads. Like, just another reason not to do what they should be doing. Well, do people understand how social media works? Because you know, in, no. once you get to the digital, <laughs> I don't understand that either. That's the problem. once you get to the, digital, <laughs> the role of digital is to be generous, is to share, to build your brand. You do it by sharing your content and your thought leadership, and they're going to be dying to be there. Yeah, right. Well, so you, so you guys love to be to go to TED. How many people would just love? Yeah. That? Well, this is this. You guys, you're, you've done a great job of segueing into my next question. Oh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you go ahead and start, Marianne. I, I wanted I wanted you guys to talk about so whatever you know, however you've captured your content. Once you you want to kind of share that content, you know, distribute it. What are your feelings on? whether or not you gate that content and, and how you're going about that. Like what's, what's the trade-off there and, and kind of what's your philosophy around that? Mariana, how do you start? I don't know what we mean gate, gated. Oh, th- so that just means like in order to see a piece of content, I have to give you my email or other information oh, oh, yeah. versus cool. just yeah. you know, having it freely, you know, generously available. Well, yeah, no, I, I need data. I need data. And what I only I demand are three things, your name, your affiliation, and your email address. And then if you get back to, you know, our platform, it's just your email address. 
I need to have that. I mean, I want to have that. I have clients who want everything to be free and that's great. Then they come back to me and they go, well, can you kind of understand from their IP address where they're, you know, are they from Baltimore? I'm going, it's a little hard to do that, you know. But I think it depends on what the objective is. It really does. For when you're talking business to business thought leadership or business to business, the events that we do, especially in the investment banking, we can ask people for their this information. But if they want to put Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, they're allowed to because it has to be free. So it's option in. So if we have an option in, at least then I get like 85% compliance with either real things, real people, not just uh, AB, ABC or Donald Duck. I don't know. It, it depends. I, 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 but I think you should ask for, I do it the reverse. How will success be measured in any exercise that you do? Okay, it's, you know, and if it means I need data points for this, then how are you going to get that? So you plan it backwards. And if you, you know, if you need an email address and if you need to identify the person, then you're going to have to gate it. Great. Yeah. Ina, what do you think about that? With BrightDocs, we're actually uh, used by demand generation marketers for their lead generation purposes. So we have a standard form that people do have to sign up once they, and then they can watch as many webinars or videos on BrightDoc as they'd like. But within our team, because we deal with, you know, speakers and stuff, our main, our main goal is to increase our audience base too. So we've actually played around with gated and ungated content. So while most of the content on Bright Talk is gated because they do have to sign up, you know, a, a certain number of fields because that's what it's in our clients' contracts, they are going to get that data. So we have that. We've been playing around and looking at, let's take fintech as, a, as an example. It, there's so many things happening in fintech right now, like cryptocurrencies, blockchain. Those are what we would consider um, high-level content, right? So we are more than happy to ungate those sorts of content because then we're driving people in. We're getting them hooked onto something and they don't have to give up any information. And our thoughts are, let's hook you in on something that we know is going to attract you from the get-go. And once you, you know, take it in, you're going to be thinking, hopefully, oh, wow, there's an entire platform of knowledge under this reg form. I've now had, you know, a bit of a, a tease, you know, I mean, that's a, the whole point of a trailer, right? Is a trailer for a movie is that you get them in, you tease them with that in the hopes that they will buy your ticket to actually watch the entire film. So we have played around with that. And with, um, with the fintech community, the sorts of content, again, that we have used are the, we do a series called Ask the Expert. And it's basically, we, we invite an expert to come on, they give a short introduction to the topic, and then they go over about five to seven FAQs that they get. But the main purpose of the episode is actually for them to answer as many questions that the live audience is sending through. So our most popular has been the Ask the Blockchain Expert, of course, because you get people who are saying, I will have a really advanced blockchain you know, question, which is focused on the healthcare industry. And you get someone who's literally like how to buy a Bitcoin. And that's the, the kind of content that we, we think is, like I said, it's attracting people from all levels. Okay. And then once we get them in, we, you know, uh, we direct them to another piece where then we will have that reg form that then they will have to sign up. And that's, again, it's just testing out which type of content works for the gated and ungated. I think it's a great point. I mean, in advertising terms, it's the lost leader, it's the coupon, you know, it's all that great stuff. And I think you want to generate the traffic and then you want to generate it around your brand. And as they go deeper and deeper and deeper, there's other levels of commitment or data extraction. Also, we found that by taking, using social media, which is not gated, let's say Twitter, and we found doing some work with Inspirefest that, 
The more information that was packed on a Twitter feed and really great graphics and photographs, and not photographs of people like posing, but in action, like that great picture of you, Megan, from, from HD would just drive traffic like crazy because there's life behind it. And then a link and a promise for a deeper, deeper discovery. Those things were opened like crazy. They really trended. So that's like a loss leader. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it depends on what your purpose is. But I think if one thing you can remember, the internet or digital is generous. So you want to get people around that digital campfire. I wanted to say also that's like, if you think about it, that's like the free economy that we're living in, right? Is if you think about it, apps and the, the Ubers and the Spotify's um, would, would be nothing if they charged from the get-go. But what they did was they said, okay, it's all free now. Like, you know, Spotify actually for quite some time, I was still on that free Spotify that had the stupid ads in, you know, in between everything. And then it was my coworkers who were listening in and they were like, did what you say not pay for the, for the, 10, the 10 pounds a month thing where you get just nothing? And then that was honestly what like kind of peer pressured me to be like, okay, fine, I'm gonna go for Spotify. <laughs> but you know, I was honestly completely fine with it until I got, you know, I got back into into going for the premium option. But yes, you know, some of the the world's largest companies in the digital age, you know, echoing what Marianne said, it's that's a digital economy. It is going to be free because information as well, most of it is free now. But you have to get people in there. And then because of your thought leadership or because of the expertise that they can get, that's when they have to contribute something. Yes. So, and actually that's a good transition into this this next question about live video. So uh, it's kind of a two-parter. Do you think live video has a place at live events or is it better to record and distribute later? You know, you'd want to take first crack at it. Well, we do it a, a lot. And but, and I'll, I'll give you something that I'm just picking up on something that Ina also mentioned too. I think that we're also forgetting that we're, we're just doing one-way communications here. And we find the most compelling events that we have is where the audience becomes participants. And I think that we need to see more of that, obviously, especially as we get more into the younger millennial and younger generations. They want to be asked and they want their opinions. Um, it depends. What we find with the video, the most successful that we get is when uh, a company is doing really a fireside chat and the questions are coming from the audience and from the web. And it's, it's, it's just so incredible because it's must-see TV. Like you were saying, the blockchain, ask the experts, you know, this, you know, the, oh, we just heard that this currency just crashed. You know, the, the currentness of it is incredible. It's almost like TV. We find them to be very, very high numbers and compelling. And people really thought, oh, gosh, I'm glad I was there. I saw news or I saw something happen. There are times when video or live isn't appropriate. Because if they're not coming to your meeting, they probably made other plans. So this just depends on your marketing. But I think you should capture everything. We're not compelled to do video with with uh, the SEC, but sometimes we do. Mostly it's audio only. I think it depends on what your, your marketing is. But I think if you are going to use video, and if there is a, a web audience, you got to use them. And let them ask questions. Let them participate. Let them download white papers, the slides, all those good things. Let them share it, not make it passive. Yeah, Elizabeth, I mean, this is interesting having this conversation now, right? Because we, this goes back to, what was that? It was a PCMA or something that you were on the team, right, Elizabeth? Yeah, back, yeah, back in the day, I was a virtual audience 
something or other. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was like just my, you know, my job to make sure that the the people who, who were virtual, you know, were asking questions. And then I would be the person physically in the room and ask the speaker, you know, like have the microphone and ask the speaker so that they were participating not only amongst themselves, which they were doing a fantastic job of doing, and that was a great experience, but then they also kind of got to be, you know, the physical live participants got to be kind of hear from the virtual participants as well. But um, yeah, PCMA just put out an article this week saying that they've attributed a million dollars of revenue to the fact that they've been doing the, you know, the live, the live conference or whatever, the virtual conference. So, you know, kudos to them. Yeah, well, I'd also also add something that was really compelling for us is that if you had a live chat going on. And sometimes it's dangerous, but we did a long time ago, a love webcast for the American Medical Association with reporters. And there was a chat. There was more insight that from the reporters asking questions, but what they were also saying, they were commenting back. So we had a such incredible insight to that information and also even had the speaker address a couple of the issues that were just coming in from the chat. You know, people, it's, you know, it's information. I mean, a marketer in general advertising would kill. That's, that's a beyond a focus group for them. No doubt. Yeah. So, you know, what do you think? So interestingly enough, we actually have a new product out this year called the Bright Talk at Summit. So what we realized was that for years, we've been going to these big industry events, like for IT security, we've been going to RSA and InfoSecurity Europe. And for uh, FinTech and Financial Services, we've been to Cyboss for the past two years at least. And the thing is, we actually have really good relationships with the organizers, the conference organizers, where for Cyboss last year, uh, Swift is actually a client of ours as well. And they actually gave us a room in Toronto, the um, exhibition center, where we ran our own live video panels going on at the same time as the Cyboss event. And this was something that Swift actually loved. They loved the fact that even if, you know, these were not the keynote sessions, these were not officially part of the Cyboss program, we were engaging with more people. So we actually did, I think, six different live video panels. So live from Cyboss, it was a bright talk at Cyboss event. We invited the different speakers who were also speaking at Cyboss, but we got them onto different panel sessions. We streamed that live from the event, had people asking questions, had people turning up live. And that was something that was actually really interesting. And, and Cyboss loved it because they, I, I agree with Marianne, I think that actually the event organizers nowadays, because they, they are aware of the social media presence, they are aware of that exposure is just more that they want. It's that, it's that FOMO sort of feeling. They want people, if they were not able to attend this year, to kind of tune in and see what they missed out on. And that will encourage them to come for the next event. Because a lot of the time with these events, they're a series, right? They either happen multiple times a year or at least once a year and you know it's going to be an annual thing. So, you know, the the live event, the live video streaming has been honestly a really, uh, a really tangible and I think really engaging piece of content for us. And also, like I said, a good way that when we have communicated this to the event organizers, you, you'd think that they wouldn't want to, they, they think it's a, you know, a competitor, but they have actually really welcomed this sort of initiative. As they should. And that's the thing is that it is marketing. And that's the thing about social too. When people are live tweeting and, and, and engaging with the speakers that are on stage, that everyone who's at home, right. Or not there is seeing it, or maybe they're in another, maybe they're there and they're in another session and they're like, Hey, that looks better than where I am. I'm going to go over there, you know, kind of a thing. Um, it's really valuable. It's real time feedback. I think surveys are important still, but they're becoming less and less important as if you're really listening. 
And that's the thing, right? I just want to add to that. I think it's a really, it was really brilliant what you did. I think that you should be thinking about your speakers differently. Your speakers are your conference brand ambassadors. For think sure. about it that way. And I think you should just not have them have one session. Most speakers want to engage. And I love the fact, you know, if I give a keynote, I would love to sit on a panel. I would love to sit and do a workshop while I'm there. You know, think differently. And then also encourage them and give them the tools to be able to use their social media to get out there. Because one of the surprises in Warsaw, we had people from all over the world, China, I mean, MIT, the whole, the whole bit, all over the world. And when I walked in day two, I go, oh, by the way, here's your videos. They started crying. And this guy from Shanghai goes, I can send this to my wife. I can send this out to my students, out to my network. We started trending because of them all getting very happy and busy. But I think if you, know, if you use your speakers, you'd be really surprised. Use them on site, but then also use their social media. I think that you're really going to start seeing really building of um, a larger a larger constituency for your brand. That is a fantastic segue to Jen, who works for Social Media Examiner that puts on the largest social media marketing conference that exists, and they do great stuff. So Jen, talk to how you work with your speakers and how what she just described is absolutely what y'all do, and then go into the, I think that'll be a good uh, transition into the questions that you had too. You bet. Yeah, we did something pretty special this year that we had not done before past years with our speakers uh, specifically. We created our, our own Facebook group for them, a private Facebook group for our speakers and some of us with staff members to all interact and just kind of get on the same page, you know, old speakers to mentor new speakers and just really everyone have a community before they get out to San Diego for social media marketing world. And it was absolutely fascinating. I felt like it was a lot more tight knit this year with the speakers and the staff members and then some of our own brand ambassadors that we just kind of brought into to that group just to start, you know, infiltrating the event before we ever get out there. We really value the community and we really value the, the people that attend. We, we value the people that speak and, uh, and of course the staff, we value each other. Well, and most so, of your speakers also stick around. So that's, they that's, do. That's not to be, so I shouldn't be left unsaid. Like they're actually there. The, yeah. They're not popping in for an hour to speak and then bailing. They're there and they're attending <laughs> other sessions and they're engaging with the attendees and they attendees eat that up. It's like a big family reunion. It doesn't matter who you are, speaker, staff member, attendee, volunteer. It, it really does feel like a true community because it is a true community out there. And um, it is so cool to, to be able to sit here and have a normal conversation with somebody that I think is absolutely, you know, I have this person on a pedestal year round and then I meet them in person and, and just sit here and talk like this, like I'm talking right now. It feels completely normal and it's just, it's fascinating. So with that being said, a lot of my interactions and a lot of our own interactions, they happen all over social media, all year round, all the time. So what I want to know, and I'd love to know your feelings about this, is how important do you feel physical networking? Like when we get there to the event, how important do you feel that is as opposed to social media networking? So Marianne, let's start with you. Oh, well, I just think everything you do before you get on site is almost like a warm up to the face to face. And I, I love your idea of the Facebook of the speakers together. You know, they're nervous. They're people too. They want to make sure that they're going to be well served. Also, 
also the, the warmer you make them feel, the more they're going to promote other speakers to come and speak at your next conference. So it's, it's, it's a community out there. We did something in Warsaw and I just absolutely loved. We we got an app called Grip. You know, Tim Groot out of London. So if you don't know him, Hina, I'll definitely introduce you to him. Terrific. It basically uses artificial intelligence to match your attendees. So he gave it to us because I said, can I have a free version of it because I want to test it. He basically put in your LinkedIn and so people get their metadata matched. So that metadata also with the metadata that I was collecting with usage, we got some incredible metadata. But with the wonderful, it's almost Tinder. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I've never done Tinder, but what I'm told. And they had the ability also to make appointments. And uh, when I went on, I was one of the MCs on day one because I spoke English. I knew the platform, you know, knew, knew the agenda. And they were a little nervous in, in Poland on day one. So I went up first. I really kind of just basically dared Warsaw to break Tim Group's app. And they all, many people got on it. The face-to-face was so kinetic and that helped. It's it's the critical, that's the special sauce of events. That's what makes events so compelling. That what makes, you know, if retail understood that it's about the customer's experience and that face-to-face, maybe they wouldn't be in such trouble if they're in. Okay. Events have that. Your attendees vote with their feet to come. And that's the maximum experience. Make them be able to find each other, make them to know why they're connected together and make them to continue to have that conversation. And that's when you have a customer for life or an attendee for life. Am I passionate enough? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You nailed it on the head. That's exactly how I feel too. Um, It's, it's so important and it's indescribable actually. Um, You know, how do you feel? So, very similar to Marianne, obviously. So a lot of the engagement that I have with my speakers and my clients do exist online. That's it's social media, it's via emails, but that's the reason why it's still so important for me to attend the physical events that are happening within the community that I'm a part of is because nothing beats that face-to-face still. I, I always say that it's funny because I have made so many connections and I, you know, we've really been able to, you know, amass a really strong network of speakers within the financial services and fintech industry. And a lot of the time it's because I, so I go to these events and many times I'll meet somebody and I know that this person probably ignored three of my emails, inviting them to speak on Bright Talk. And then we meet and we just connect. And, you know, there's just, I, I always feel like I am a very extroverted, friendly person and that it's difficult for that to come across, you know, on email. But I feel like when I do meet you, I'm, it's easier for me to connect with you. And honestly, I have made, I have turned so many of those email ignorers into proper regular speakers, but we needed that face-to-face connection to, for them to also just know that I, like, there's, a, there's a person behind, you know, the fintech community on Bright Talk. Because a lot of the time, because it all occurs online, you don't get that that person, that personal feel. And, you know, actually, Jen, you mentioned so many really cool things in, in your introduction when you talked about community and ambassadors, because I am really big on community growth and community building. And I find it that, you know, with the speakers that we have, so we've had some of the really top speakers in the world and all types of digital banking payments, blockchain, crypto, speaking on Bright Talk. And they have actually turned from just being speakers to being ambassadors for Bright Talk without us paying them to do so, without us asking them to do so. You know, when they share that, oh, here's the talk that I've given on Bright Talk, they are really sharing as well without saying it, here's Bright Talk, the place for you to go for any fintech questions you might have. Yeah, yeah it's you, you, you just can't, I mean, this is the unique thing. 
has always attracted me because I have a theater background too. So advertising and theater. And I think it's just like vinyl is becoming special. And I think we're booked. And as more we get digital, the live, whether it's theater, whether it's, you know, experiential uh, meetings, whatever, is going to become more and more impactful. And I think that I've seen people who, as Eden was saying, they don't know each other. But when they meet each other face to face, they're squealing. Like, I'm just so happy to meet you after you know, having this email chain, you know. So I think that that's, it's, that's something that keeps gives me really um, very excited to be in the space right now in the events industry. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about um, adding that extra uh, context. Context is huge. Context and personal touch when it comes to meeting somebody, um, you know, live. I, I just think it's amazing. And you guys really hit it on the head. That's how I feel too. It's just, uh, it's indescribable. And I'm, I'm very passionate about those moments when I meet somebody from socials and I bring them in real life. So if you could provide one piece of advice on establishing yourself as a thought leader to anybody else, what would that be? Marianne, let's start with you. That's a hard one. In fact, we're working with some of our speakers. Uh, we have called the Thought Leadership Initiative, especially with women, to make them more impactful so that they get asked to speak more and eventually get on boards. You know, that's, you know, we our corporate social responsibilities we give our MetaMeetings platform to diversity and inclusion conferences for free. And we get sponsors to help underwrite that, you know, to help amplify that. So just to give my little plug on my corporate social. I think you have to be very clear on what you stand for and be very clear in your messaging. It's like in anything. And it's either much, much a more abbreviated platform, obviously, with 140 characters. Stand for something, whether it's thought leadership, content. I mean, every time I say content's a gift that keeps on giving, people get, you know, what's that mean? Yeah, you'd be very, very clear and succinct is what, and be really in the genuine place. It has to be really, truly who you are and of your voice. You know, I totally agree with that because if you're one person online and then you carry that over into your real in-person interactions, people can see that transparency. They can see how authentic and genuine you are. They really, truly can. If you're putting out a message on the socials and you're completely somebody different when it's face-to-face, you know, that that's just too bad in my opinion. <laughs> you know, how do you feel? So one thing that um, I always think when I so it's funny I have been behind the scenes for the past maybe three years you know organizing these conferences and only last year did I kind of flip the switch and say actually I kind of feel like I have a few things to say too so I have learned so much more about how I can make uh, the experience better for our users because I am now that speaker and seeing those reactions and trying to adapt to that. And one thing, you know, Marianne already touched on it, but it's finding that niche because it's very important, I think, to actually say, here's the one thing that I'm actually an expert in because the the fact that you're an expert should mean that you are not an expert in everything. And the credibility that you talked about, Jen, will also come into play there. How can, why would anyone believe you if you're supposedly knowledgeable about every single thing? So it's finding that niche, I think, and also having the data and the experience to back it up. For me to say, here's what I think you should do, and I'm going to encourage you to do these things. I should be able to say, you know why? It's because I've done it, and this is what's happened, or I've learned from this and that. And the one of the things that I also talk about, so mentioned this this week in that accelerator in Oslo, is that what makes a good piece of content? So I went over that. These are the things that I act as an editorial consultant to our clients. So these are tech giants, banks, startups, and they bring me in to take a look at their content and tell them basically, how does that look? How can we make it better? And one of the key things I always say is that for someone who made the effort to turn up to your talk or your webinar video event, they should be able to leave and know something that they did not know when they first got there. That is key. Because if not, like I always think, if I enter that, you know, a workshop and I'm chatting away for an hour or so and people left and didn't have any 
actionable items that they think, oh, after that talk, I now want to go and do this or I now want to change this, then the thought leadership that I was supposed to be, you know, propagating is completely useless. There was, there was no leading and there were no thoughts. And right. all of my speakers and my clients, the same thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I think that this has been such a great, the way that we just melded the data and the, like the, the techie stuff with the personal and the, the, uh, the in-person, I think on this show was fantastic. I think that we should have a part two because we could talk for hours and hours and hours. So we'll, we'll circle back on that eventually and give our listeners something else to look forward to. So I hate to do it, but we have to wrap up the show. Marianne and Ina, thank you so much for being our guests here uh, today on episode 13 of Making a Marketer. As always, Elizabeth and Jen, you are rock stars. Thanks, y'all. And so with that, I will say thank you all for joining us and we will catch you next time. Bye.